0: night talk with oliver dixon wednesday edition of night talk my name is oliver dixon thank you so much for being with me i really do appreciate it as far back as 2007 bankers traders very specifically traders working for banks started colluding to manipulate the currency of south africa um the story really only surfaced uh to i guess the national news zeitgeist around 2017 When the then APSA CEO, Maria Ramos, had made an admission to that fact that, as they claimed, two of their traders had participated in this collusive ring um, amongst a dozen banks across the world, um, some of them South Africans, some not. Uh, they handed these employees over, so to speak, to the competition commission. The competition commission had seemingly already started investigating uh, this and then got some more information from apps. And along the way, there were several settlements as and where transgressions were positively proven uh, across different jurisdictions. Uh, But the Competition competition Commission then went to the Competition Tribunal, which I guess, as far as courts are concerned, carries the same weight or seniority as a high court. And then after that, you have the Competition uh, Appeals Court. And of course, you then have the the Constitutional Court thereafter. So should this matter not be, you know, achieve finality in the Competition uh, Appeals Court, it would make its way to the Constitutional Court. But it's currently being litigated in the Competition Appeals Court. That's where we are right now. A lot has happened. The detail, of course, not always surfacing uh, to the front pages of our newspapers. And given just how short our memories are as South Africans, given how dense our news cycle is, these sort of things just, you know, fade into the background. But where did it all start and where exactly are we now and what happened along the way? Rob Rose, who is the editor of the Financial Mail, is with us for this conversation. Dr. Zajamim will also join us in a very short while as we try to analyze the implications and impact of this. But Rob, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Perhaps chronologically explain to us what the story that sounds like a movie is.
1: Evening. Um, Yeah, it actually began a long time ago and it wasn't just a South African thing. It actually originated overseas when um, regulators in the UK were finding that there was evidence that that certain traders at banks had been manipulating the, the interbank exchange rate, essentially. Um, and they stumbled across, across a whole lot of messages between various traders that talked about, you know, that actually extended it to the global foreign exchange markets, talking of traders kind of like rigging particular bids and, you know, basically colluding to, um, to fix prices to, to some extent, and this this kind of blew up from there. So it it essentially started there, and and you know the currency markets are this massive wild west. It's like seven trillion dollars um, that trades every day. It's massive. I mean, people can take you know trade the rand dollar, they can trade the euro, yen, they can trade any anything like that. So it's this massive market, and it's very opaque and traders um, essentially sell dollars to say, a, you know, a company that wants to buy, wants to buy dollars, exchange rands and we'll sell it to somebody else. And along the way, a lot of them got together from the big banks <laughs> like Barclays, like JP Morgan yeah, and did kind of deals between themselves to to kind of like, um, I suppose, essentially rig prices.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's ironic for me that this happened in an electronic chatbot, the equivalent of WhatsApp or Microsoft Teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to have been a, a a level of casualness as well as um, perhaps just didn't they didn't care, they didn't bother to, to to be discreet about this. They didn't think they would get caught. It, it seemed very brazen. Um, What does the body of evidence actually look like? And initially, who came across it? How did it land in the lap of the Competition Commission?
1: Well I mean essentially it came from overseas so what happened is the guys in the UK discovered many of these chat messages and it was like a Bloomberg chat room and yeah. Bloomberg is the is is the you know the financial um, terminal through which many trades are done and essentially they um they they found a lot of these chats and then they looked deeper and discovered that it was essentially price fixing so it was essentially yeah. Messages that in which the traders talk to each other and they say that you know we're going to do this this is a great this is a great trade and we shouldn't put this on the track but you know the this group of traders called themselves by various named names the cartel the bandits Club the mafia the a team um, and it was essentially 21, 21 000 Bloomberg traders chat transcripts that they got, 40 hours of telephone records. And they went through that, and that's what they found. Um, yeah. and some of the messages were, you know, there, there was one specific chat room where they talked about manipulating the RAND, and that was called czar domination. Um, and, you know, some of the messages were things like, you know, that one trader would say to the other, the guy from Bar- Barclays, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Um, and, you know, they'd say, like, that's how you do a fix. And they congratulated each other. It was quite a macho boys club. Yeah. Um, One of them was, you know, the one guy said, that's the best fix of my career, stars aligned, you won't find that in any textbooks. Um, And they'd use phrases like, we're trying to manipulate it a bit more in New York now, a couple of buddies of mine and I. So there's things like that that I think one of the British judges called it coarse and laddish. Um, And what happened is that in the States, the US, um, one of the traders first from Barclays, Jason Katz, pleaded guilty to the U.S. Department of Justice um, in this. And I think that is what that first kind of um, plea deal is what kicked it off. And a couple of other traders have since pleaded guilty. And one of them um, in the U.S. uh, from I think it was JP Morgan was actually didn't plead guilty, but he was sentenced to eight months in prison there.
0: Yeah. Have any of the regulators been able to quantify uh, the financial impact of this collusive behavior?
1: I don't think they have. I think it's because it's you know, it's because of these massive markets. What happens is that, you know, the they're small movements. To some extent, the people getting screwed aren't so much the rand moving huge amounts because the markets are so big, so there will only be very tiny movements. But it's more like particular clients from the banks who are getting a bad deal because two traders from different banks have agreed to fix the price, and so it's the guy who isn't getting the best possible deal. So it's more more on a very micro level that this kind of thing happens, so So the the damage to that extent.
0: So it doesn't have an impact on the overall Currency trade value, am I understanding that correct? That it's really, per, uh, it has an impact on a specific transaction or a specific set of transactions?
1: Well, the Competition Commission has said that they're not going to rule out the fact that it could have actually um, swayed the value of the Rand, but because the value of the Rand dollar trading is just so immense, yeah. it's unlikely that one or two small trades that have actually moved the Rand. It's more like the individuals, in these particular cases, the individual clients who are getting screwed over. But, you know, the Competition Commission says they're, they're making the argument that, you know, to some extent it did shift the currency, even yeah. if it's a tiny bit. Um, but it's not, you know, what has happened is several of the banks have agreed plea deals overseas. And here, this, today we had, for example, Standard Chartered agreeing to pay 42 million rand to the Competition Commission. Um, so it certainly had a financial impact on various banks. Um, And if this case is proven in our competition, the competition tribunal and our various courts here, it will probably lead to a much bigger um, knock to the banks, um, given the fact that the $42 that Standard Chartered paid today was part of a plea agreement, essentially a settlement. So you can imagine that the authorities are going to go much larger on those who who don't settle with them. Yeah.
0: Rob, I know you're not a lawyer and, and, and uh, you know, forgive me if we get too legally technical about this, but uh, I would understand that this is entirely a civil process. Is this at all a criminal, if, if found to be true in the case, um, is there any sort of criminal sanction that can be meted out against either the specific traders or the banks or the directors of the bank?
1: Well, it certainly is in the U.S., and that's why one of the traders is now in prison in the U.S. Um, he appealed that ruling and, and, you know, essentially he was he failed in that and has now had to go to prison. But in South Africa, price fixing such as it is, um, the way I understand it, was only essentially uh, made a criminal offense um, after these particular actions took place. I think it was around 2017, 2018. So I don't think there's a criminal sanction here, but certainly there'll be a financial impact. And they are. No, like you say, the, the competition tribunal actions and the competition commission actions have civil impact, um, and so you're unlikely to see anyone going to prison mm. in South Africa, even if that's what does happen overseas.
0: Mm-hmm. And 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 again, another seemingly technically legal question, but I'm sure it comes up in the in the papers of the uh, competition commission. What is the technical definition of collusion? I mean, we can speak about it colloquially, right? And Like, yeah, collusive, we spoke when we weren't supposed to speak or that sort of stuff. But what is mm. the legal test for collusion?
1: Um, well, you know, I, I, I need to get my legal textbooks out if I had any, which I don't. But, I mean, we've seen it certainly in a couple of the cases here where there have been industries that have colluded. Most notoriously, we had the bread industry. We yeah. had Tiger Brands and... Um, several of the others colluding to fix bread prices. Um, and you saw too, the construction companies yeah. of the World Cup, they would agree, for example, not to bid on a certain tender to build this World Cup stadium in exchange for us just bidding on this one. You know, we'll yeah. do Soccer City, you can do Moses Mobido. So that kind of thing is what happened. So essentially, it's essentially deciding to to carve up markets, manipulating prices and creating an unfair a distortion of the natural competitive markets um, which is what you've seen in this particular case in the in the rand rigging case in a micro sense but you certainly saw it in a much bigger sense in the bread cases the construction company cases and various others
0: give us a call i'm taking your reactions to the zero eight six triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero two zero three two i'm also taking your whatsapp voice notes night talk with oliver Dixon. 21 minutes after 10 o'clock, you're listening to Night Talk. Thank you so much for your company this evening. Really, really do appreciate it. And I want to bring economist Dr. Azhar Jameem into the conversation. Dr. Jameem, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Why, good evening. Wh- I mean, we talk. We can talk about consumers very specifically when we speak about uh, competition and very specifically uh, transgressions therein. But what is the impact, generally speaking, Of collusive behavior?
2: Well collusive behavior means that you are circumventing normal competition and the most obvious effect of collusive behavior is that the person who is at the other end acquiring products or services that are subject to collusive behavior end up paying a higher price than is necessary and therefore have are, are, uh, uh jeopardized in terms of their mm. income and uh, their ability to spend on other goods and services
0: yeah uh, and, and and that that definition is important because it it i guess using that need to help us evaluate this when banks or traders collude to manipulate the currency in a specific trade uh, consider here the case of uh, trade between the, the the South African rand and the US dollar how does that affect me how does that affect anyone involved in that particular transaction if even if i if if i were a bank and i manipulated the the rand to the dollar trade by as little as 1 cent on the trade um given the sheer volume of those trades i'm assuming it adds up but does it add up significantly enough to be considered detrimental to the market and to uh, market actors?
2: Uh, what you're asking is how long is a piece of string? You know, <laughs> if you add them up <laughs> all the time, yeah. eventually it can amount to quite a lot. And I myself personally, as an ordinary consumer, for example, who um, brings an, or takes out money, you know, gets foreign exchange from time to time, uh, I get very irate when I see the kind of commissions that are being charged by some banks to, uh, in terms of uh, converting currency. Yeah. And it's a market, um, very marked loss that I incur. Now, uh, this uh, these collu- collusive behavior to some extent uh, is a similar thing. You may not say that uh, charging a huge commission is collusive. But uh, the uh, impact of collusion is not dissimilar to having to pay a huge commission on doing business.
0: Yeah. Rob, Rob, I want to bring you back in here. 2018 was a terrible time for the credibility of bankers. I'm assuming that in South Africa, this doesn't help much to that. How much salvageable credibility do banks have in this particular case? Or is it going to be relatively innocuous, we're going to forget about it, look past it, and no real accountability, regulatory reforms will take place, uh, and that banks will still be able to have traders who, uh, you know, deliberately and make a concerted effort to violate the, as they call it in that industry, the Chinese wall between bankers and traders? Um, or, Or can we expect significant reforms to come out of this? Rob, so much that
1: um,
0: yes, can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Go ahead. Great.
1: I, I don't think that in this particular case there was much evidence that any of the executives or CEOs knew what was happening. It was happening on the trading floor. To some extent, mm. this is the actions of, of um, a group of rogue, rogue traders. I think the real kind of wider systemic issues is what this means for oversight of the banks. How did this happen? How were these traders allowed to get away with this for so long? And why was this not picked up up on earlier? So I think you could expect to see some implications in terms of oversight of banks in the same way that the 2008 um, subprime mortgage crisis, you know, that led to the financial crisis, led to changes in corporate governance, led to changes in the way um, certain instruments are valued. Because essentially that package together, if you remember 2008, packaged together all these dodgy loans uh, to create these things that looked fantastic but were actually just complete junk. So that led to certain reforms in terms of ratings agencies and and other elements. So I think this will certainly have an implication for oversight and governance. So even though the executives themselves might not have been aware of what was going on, that's why the banks are themselves paying up and settling these cases for millions of dollars and in this case in South Africa, millions of rands too.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, Dr. Jameem, are South African
0: regulators um, moving fast enough in terms of ensuring that the right sort of regulations are being considered or put in place or altered to ensure that this sort of thing doesn't happen or if it does happen? That the sanction and penalty is incredibly severe that it uh it disincentivizes any other trade or banker from ever doing this again in south africa we have what the financial sector conduct regulatory authority fisca as we call them uh there may be one or other two regulatory authorities that have some level of jurisdiction the reserve bank being one of them um but within that ecosystem is, is there concern enough that at least some regulatory and legislative action is being taken?
2: I don't think that there is enough uh, direct interest by the man in the street in what is happening on that front uh, for us to see the kind of regulation that we see uh, on the consumer behavior type and consumer uh, competition uh, competition. Uh, From time to time, Uh, the Competition Commission seems to be—it seems to take a much harsher kind of action against collusive behaviour when it relates to pricing of products that are, uh, you know, physical products, as opposed to uh, the the kind of thing that we see happening uh, in the financial field. And I think you're quite right that uh, we are not seeing uh, uh, the same amount of oversight. In the financial area, uh, in respect of the, this kind of thing, as we yeah. might have be as is the case in the case of ordinary, cons- uh, you know, consumer goods and that sort of.
0: Yeah, uh, Rob, uh, does the South African Competition Commission have the necessary muscle uh, to wrestle, you know, what are effectively corporate giants—the banks that have all the time, all the resources, and all the money in the world—to drag this out forever? <laughs>
1: Well, they have raised that issue in the legal papers. They've talked about how the fact, you know, how the banks are dragging it out and it's interminable. And I think, I think the Constitutional Court, or one of the courts, talked about how there was a veritable forest of interlocutory orders that have been filed in this particular case. So clearly, the banks are using their financial muscle to to extend this, and they're not willing to concede much ground on this on this front. Um, but you know, I, I do think that the Competition Commission they do have considerable resources. I I often think that they pursue cases, um, that aren't practical in this particular case, you know, they added 28 banks to this particular charge sheet. Um, and that is just making it far more complicated and extending the case when actually you could have just say gone for, you had 14 initially, you know, prove the ones that are the easiest to prove and, you know, ensure accountability, but something that drags on for another 10 years, I think, you know, people are sick of having zero accountability in the corporate Mm, sector. mm. Um, so get it done. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's... The, the, the other banks, one of the more, more recently added banks to the chart sheet is NetBank. Should they do the absent thing of Maria Ramos, come out, issue an apology, pay a fine and keep it moving? Or is do they have a strong enough case? Their case really is, you guys are kind of late. You know, this has nothing to do with us. That seems to be the crux of their legal papers. Uh, should they change tact? Will that help them salvage credibility?
1: I mean, I do think that it does come down to the individual cases. Um, You know, APSA did this specifically because there were two traders on their floor who who were involved. So APSA had the actual facts at hand to say that we – there is culpability and we need to settle this um i think you know there are other banks for example like nomura uh, um which i read their papers yesterday and they were talking about how the fact is that they were just in a chat room where there were some other cartel members and the competition commission added them to so their argument is if, if we are essentially if we walk into a restaurant and eating in the same restaurant as a as the godfather does that make us part of the mob So I think it does depend on the individual cases. Um, And so you can't can't necessarily settle if you're not part of it. But certainly if there is evidence, I think the banks should absolutely deal with it. Yeah. Dr. Jameem, the more philosophical
0: question that emanates from this is how much banks should be doing. Should banks be allowed to trade in the securities and foreign exchange markets? Or should banks simply just do that, which is banking? processing money from one person to another or should they be able to as they uh, do uh, invest and participate in, in 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 the capital markets uh that's a question a lot of people should ask will be asking themselves uh in in relation to this is there any long-standing literature on whether or not uh banks are doing too much uh
2: there is, has been a huge debate over many years uh precisely in that regard. Uh, In particular, the uh, distinction that has been drawn and was drawn in particular around the global financial crisis was whether uh, banks should not be split between those who uh, are involved in deal-making and uh, investment uh, banking, so to speak, on the one hand, and those involved in uh, ordinary uh, lending and borrowing activities, and uh, I don't think that that uh, whole debate has yet been fully resolved. But uh, but it does lead to a lot of collateral damage yeah. uh, when the two are combined.
0: Yeah, can that debate ever be resolved, or is it too too late? They too big to fail, too big to be split.
2: Well, that's part of the problem: is that uh, banks have become so so big around the world. Uh, that uh, governments themselves are actually often intimidated into not taking a harsh enough action uh, where uh, where they could be doing, uh, for fear of the fallout that might occur from that. And uh, I think the same might uh, could be said even here in South Africa. Yeah, we're gonna
0: to have to leave it there, Dr. Jameem, Really, really do appreciate your time this evening. Rob Rose, financial uh, mail editor, also appreciate your time. I'm taking your reactions to this. Give me a call: zero eight six triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. On the other side of this, we speak to Arise Mbotagata, as the leader of the party. Let's take a quick break.